Coming up on this week's show, we've got the second part of our interview with the Brockman Gaffney clan as they talk more about being a creative family. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 90 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. This week's episode is brought to you in part by listeners just like you. We'll have more information on how you can help support the show in just a few minutes. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you. Jeff is a million billion years old. (laughs) Sometimes it feels that way. (laughs) Um, As we are currently recording this uh, ahead of schedule, um, this particular episode will air immediately following... Yes. Your birthday. Sunday the 25th was my birthday, so... Happy birthday. Today is post-birthday. Post-birthday. Yay. Yay. Anything, any wise words you want to impart us with, or... Mm. <laughs> I don't think so. No, you don't. I don't have wise words. As I as I mentioned, we are recording this week's episode ahead of schedule, which means about 15 minutes ago, <laughs> we recorded episode... 89. And uh, let me tell you a little sneak peek behind the scenes. It did not go well. We <laughs> No, we did not. We were so off our game. It was pretty it was pretty terrible. It was crazy. The fact, I mean, we literally only had 10 minutes in which we had to talk because uh, the interview with Suzanne Brockman and her family uh, was so long. So really, all that we needed to do was talk a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end, and that would have been it. But it took us like 30 minutes to record that short 10-minute set. It was really bad. It was horrible. I couldn't, you know, find my words in the beginning. And then I lost mine at the end. And it was... It's a crazy town, and hopefully this one will go better. I can't guarantee it's going to be any better. Uh, I apologize ahead of time. Well, the trick is, you know, if I do my job right on the edit, nobody ever knows there's a problem until we talk about it. ever know. (laughs) Okay. Award show news. Award news. Fill us in, oh wise and aged one. So, uh, (laughs) wise and aged one. That's what I get now. I'm not, what's it going to be when I turn 50 in 2018? I say that with love. I know. Uh, so recently, the uh, Romance Writers of America released uh, some award uh, finalists for this year. Uh, big congratulations to T.J. Klune, whose Murmuration uh, is nominated in the Historical Romantic Mystery slash Suspense category for the, oh, you're going to have to help me out with this. Oh, the Dumarie. The Dumarie Award for Excellence in Mystery Suspense. Now, Daphne is... Daphne Dumar Dumare? Daphne Dumarie. Oh, lordy. <laughs> See, I, but I knew I was going to have trouble with that going in, so this doesn't count as it's, like it's okay. this weirdness. Um, it's she's fine. the author of the classic Rebecca, uh, and these awards are these particular awards are given out by RWA's chapter that's known as the Kiss of Death chapter, since they're mystery and and romantic suspense. Uh, so, congratulations for TJ on his uh, showing up as a finalist there. In addition, this year's Rita finalists also were announced. Uh, congratulations to all the finalists, and in particular the LGBT books in that list. Uh, we've got Pansies by Alexis Hall, 
uh, nominated in Contemporary Romance Long Long Form, Fast Connection by Megan Erickson and Santino Hassel in the Contemporary Romance Mid-Length, and Far From Home by, uh, I think that's L'Oreal Brown, sorry if I butchered your name, uh, in the Contemporary Romance Short Category. Uh, those were the only LGBT books that I found. If you read that list, uh, feel free to call out other ones uh, if we missed any. Uh, the complete finalist list for both of these awards will be linked up to in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out. The award ceremonies for both of these uh, take place at the RWA conference at the end of July in Orlando. Cool. Um, really quickly, I wanted to mention something uh, in association with a book that I have talked about several times on the podcast, uh, the children's book Promise Land. Uh, I, of course, loved it to pieces and it's highly so recommend good. you search it out, find it, and get it for the young adult in your life. Or, uh, or the adult if you like the books, because let's face it, it's a good book. It is. It's really, really good. If you go to the promiselandstore.com, you can see some of their new merchandise. They've got t-shirts. They've got poster prints. Um, just re- Jeff recently bought me this, um, this adorable poster of an illustration straight from the book mm-hmm. of uh, Prince Leo and Farm Boy Jack reading under a tree. It's so adorable it's so and so cute. cute. This hangs in my office where I can look at it every single day. Um, they have also just released a coloring book version of the book. Um, you can find that at promiselandstore.com. Uh, they have some, I believe it's like... Uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, free? Free? That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. There are some free coloring book pages that you can download and color for fun to to see if that's your your jam. Mm-hmm. Um, so And there's also physical coloring books and digital download version of mm-hmm. the coloring books. Yeah. So you can get it in whatever choice you'd like. Will's holding up one of the free coloring pages right now. Yeah. This would make a really great project. For the summer, if you have kids home during the summer and are driving you crazy <laughs> and you need a couple of minutes of quiet to yourself, uh, having them color some Promised Land pages would be a lovely afternoon summer activity. Absolutely. I want to call out, too, that uh, they have said that 20% of the digital download sales from the coloring book will be donated to Inside Out which is a charity organization working with youth schools and communities to make New Zealand a safer place for all young people of minority genders and sexualities. Mm -hmm. So thumbs up for that. Uh, So think about picking up the digital copy of that coloring book. Yes. You've got some news. We're going to be doing some uh, more traveling. I know. As if we don't travel enough. Particularly (laughs) me traveling enough. Uh, When I make my work trip to L.A. for July, Will's going to be coming with me because we're going to take in a couple of screenings at Outfest. Uh, On July 16th, which is the final Saturday of the festival, we will be seeing something like Summer, which is based on J-Bell's book, as well as the premiere of Eastsider Season 3. They're going to be screening their first four episodes there. So super excited about that. Mm, Gonna be good. Uh, You can see the complete screening schedule and ticket details for the festival at outfest.org. And if you'll be at screenings on July 16th, let us know. And maybe we can, you know, meet up for a second and say hi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, as I said before, that we are recording this episode a little ahead of schedule. So there are no new patrons to report. That's right. But I thought I'd just take a moment to fill you in on how you can become a patron. You can help support this podcast 
with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this podcast. Now, for those fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. We have some really good ones coming up. We do. And I just updated the list on Patreon. Uh, As we talked about in the last episode, we are a GRL featured blog tour stop again this year. (laughs) And I just put in the nine authors that we'll be talking to on the tour. So you've got a chance to ask questions of those folks as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, if you are a patron currently, we'd like to send you a special Pride Month thank you. Please go over to the Patreon page and send us a private message with your snail mail address, and we'll send you a little card uh, saying thank you and happy Pride Month. Now, get your addresses into us by June 30th. That is the end of Pride Month, after all. It is. (laughs) You can get more (laughs) details and information on becoming a patron at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash biggayfictionpodcast. Want to be among the first to know what's coming up on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast? Join the Big Gay Fiction Podcast monthly newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get our exclusive coloring pages that you can download and color. You can even send us your artistic creations and we'll display them in our online gallery. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com and sign up on the homepage. So you've been busy reading. You've got like two books to talk to us about. I do have two books. The first one I would like to talk about is Stage 2 by Ariel Tachna. This is the third book in her Lexington Lovers series, um, which are all loosely connected. They take place in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, but they can all be read alone separately. Um, this particular book uh, is about nice guy principal Blake Barnes and Thane Dalton. Uh, Thane has his own construction company. He's, you know, a big, strong alpha male. Uh, and, and, and through circumstances, he has to raise his two young nephews. And his two nephews go to Blake's school. Okay. Okay. Uh, Blake had a crush on Thane way, way, way back in the olden days of high school. Uh, And he's sort of like nursing those feelings. And he's like, oh, I don't even know if Thane will remember me when he sees me. Uh, And it turns out Thane doesn't. Um, When they they first encounter one another at the beginning of the book, uh, Thane's nephews have been bullied. And he's called in to address the problem by Blake. Uh, so they don't get off on the right foot. Um, to help solve the problem, Blake thinks that the nephews should uh, join him in working on the backstage crew of the drama club's spring production. He's, since the boys are kind of new to school and don't really have any friends, uh, he thinks, you know, an after-school activity... Uh, with, you know, involved students. We'll help them in that manner. Sure. Also, Blake can kind of keep an eye on them and keep them away from the bullies that have been tormenting them. So that's what the boys ended up doing. They go uh, and spend their afternoons uh, helping build sets and, and taking care of uh, the all the... the Minute of, <laughs> of creating a, a, a high school production. Uh, Thane becomes involved. Uh, he wants to make sure that the boys are, are getting along. 
and that uh, since he's in construction, he's you know got a bit of pride in what he does. He wants to make sure that they're building things right. Um, he continues to butt heads with Blake, but sees that Blake does know what he's talking about, especially when it comes to dealing with young adults, especially troubled youth. Uh, the nephews, their mom has died, and they've been sort of left stranded with their uncle Thane, and they're still trying to work through some of those issues. Anyway, as everyone works on the play, uh, Thane and Blake sort of have a begrudging respect for one another. Uh, and that respect eventually turns to affection. Uh, and Thane uh, asks Blake out. And there's sort of a, a back and forth about whether it's appropriate or not to be dating, you know, the guardian of, you know, uh, his students, uh, mm -hmm. but they eventually start going out and dating, and it's all very sweet and wonderful. Uh, and they do end up, of course, falling in love. Uh, but damn you, Ariel, there is a big, horrible thing that happens like 40 pages, 40 pages before the end of the book that like throws everything into question, and you have no idea how they're going to make it through this, um, but they do. So, <laughs> damn you, Ariel, freaking me out. Um, but I really, I really loved Blake and it, Thane. It takes a lot to give him stress, so I'm happy <laughs> to see that that can happen. Yes, it did. Uh, so I really enjoyed Take Two. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's the third book in uh, Ariel's uh, Lexington Lovers series. Check it out. Cool. I look forward to reading that one because I have loved that series. Yes. The other book that I read this week was called Cowboys Don't Come Out by... Tara Lane. Um, this is only the second book I've read by Tara, and I really love her her characters and the way they kind of. Uh, I'm not sure how if I can put it into words. They interact very in a very honest and genuine way. This particular story is about a cowboy named Rand. He has a ranch in California. And he goes on a vacation with his parents to Hawaii. Um, he's not necessarily estranged with them, uh, but um, he doesn't hang out with them an awful lot. And this sort of like mini family vacation is a chance for them to, you know, you know, he needs to be the dutiful son and spend at least a little bit of time with them over the holidays. They're in they're in Hawaii uh, for Christmas. And um, when Rand is there at this small resort, uh, he runs into handsome uh, cowboy Kai. He's a Hawaiian cowboy. He actually works in the stable at the resort. Uh, so that's how Rand and Kai meet. Um, they don't... Mm, they kind of butt heads at the beginning. But when Rand goes to a local bar... Uh, and sees Kai dancing there, it kind of lusts at first sight. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, plus, after that, there's sort of a clandestine moonlight meeting on a nude beach, uh, and they discover that they really like one another. Um, but there are, of course, issues standing in the way of their love. 
Rand is just, you know, a Howley from the mainland, and he's going to be going back to his life soon, so it doesn't really make sense to, like, strike up a serious relationship. And Kai is busy taking care of his two younger siblings. Uh, You've he, got siblings going on and children going on and all yeah, over the place this yeah, week. For this particular week, it was a, a whole lot of kids going on. <laughs> anyway, Kai has got... Um, got some issues with his past and he has to take care of his younger brother and sister um his younger brother and sister actually take a liking to rand which makes kai think twice about uh having a relationship with this uh seemingly perfect and handsome uh cowboy uh, who like comes riding in on his white horse uh, ready to rescue them and all their problems that they have. Um, things don't go well. Rand actually ends up going back to the mainland before he finally realizes uh, how he really feels about Kai. There are also some dramatic issues about uh, uh, Kai's brother and sister and the issues they have with social services. Um, but all that ends up getting worked out, of course, by the end, and they have a happily ever after um i oh god i really i really really love this book an awful awful lot uh, i said so online earlier this week uh, i love rand and kai so much they've got uh such incredible chemistry and um i really like the way they work through their problems uh in an intelligent adult way uh, to get to their happy ending, and they really, really deserve it. So the ending made me really, really happy. Uh, so I highly recommend Cowboys Don't Come Out by Tara Lane. This is the first book in her Cowboys Don't series. Uh, the second one, uh, which I'm very looking forward to reading, is called Cowboys Don't Ride Unicorns. Well, why not? <laughs> we have to read it and find you better out. explain that, Tara, because I, I think they might. <laughs> Just saying. Anyway, so I highly recommend Tara Lane's book. Give it a give it a look see. Cool. So this week uh, we finally caught up from a show that was on back. I believe it was in March. In March, yes. Yeah. Uh, when we rise, which was ABC's four night miniseries that documented the uh, the gay essentially the gay civil rights movement going from 1971, which is two years after Stonewall, all the way through 2015 when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage across the country. Um, I was blown away by this series. Um, so much, I knew a lot of the history that it depicted, but not all of it. Um, it was also interesting to see the West Coast take because this series really is set primarily in San Francisco. There's a few times where we, we leave the San Francisco area, but so many of these history lessons in the gay liberation movement take place in New York. When you look at Angels in America or The Normal Heart, um, <clears throat> and even when the band played on from many years ago, they're centered up there. Uh, they mostly deal in the AIDS crisis. And this was a more sweeping look, uh, which I was I was really taken with. Mm -hmm. This series by Dustin Lance Black was uh, based, at least in part, on the book of the same name by Cleve Jones. Uh, his memoir was released last year, and the paperback edition of When We Rise is actually coming out this September. Um, the uh, the miniseries essentially follows three different people, three real-life uh, people, 
and their uh, part that they played in the gay liberation movement. Uh, Cleve Jones, Roma Guy, and Ken Jones. No relation to Cleve. Um, if you start watching this series uh, with, of course, episode one, give it a chance. I was a teensy bit confused because uh, it's got so many characters in play in so many different places all over the world. Mm. Uh, it took me a while to realize that the story was about these three main people and how they uh, came from very different places uh, and eventually made their way to San Francisco, where they all kind of essentially just fell in to what would become the gay liberation movement. Uh, and you're right, it's um, essentially it's the tale of, of what happened uh, in the post-Stonewall era uh, with Harvey Milk and everything that transpired after that from the 70s through the current day. Mm-hmm. What else, what else well, do you want to say? I was going to say, it really focuses on some seminal moments, which is Harvey mm-hmm. Milk's uh, election to, uh, election to the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then his subsequent assassination, uh, the AIDS crisis, and then marriage equality. Yes. And also kind of the, the gap between the AIDS crisis and getting marriage equality, because there was kind of a a space there where not a lot was happening on that front. And it's interesting to see, especially I thought from Cleve's point of view, how he kept knowing that we needed, that the movement needed to keep happening, but there was nothing to, that was sparking it in the aftermath of, of the major AIDS outbreak of the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, the show is really well cast. Uh, I enjoyed everyone, uh, especially the six actors uh, who played the uh, younger and then older mm-hmm. versions of our three main characters. Um, now, our sort of description of the miniseries is sort of focusing on the historical aspect, and it is, of course, you know, educational, but I also thought the miniseries was really well done and really emotionally engaging. Mm-hmm. You cared about uh, who these people were and um, their own personal struggles, struggles, you know, outside of uh, the gay rights organizations that they helped found. Because mm-hmm. each of them had their stories. Uh, for Roma, it was finding, I think, family. Mm-hmm. Um, for Cleve, it was about how to... I think he was only fully engaged to, and happy to me when he actually had something to fight for. Mm-hmm. And Ken's story kind of broke my heart. And then he found his redemption. Mm-hmm which was pretty awesome. Uh, I think, I feel like this should be required viewing in a lot of ways, um, especially in the political climate we live in now, because it's just going to be a matter of time before I think many of us have to rise up in the gay community, uh, in for women, for minorities, for uh, non-Christian religions. Um, and this really shows to a huge degree, how these groups came together in a lot of ways to get some of these things done. Uh, the the gays and the lesbians figured out they needed to work together to move a, a, an agenda forward together. Uh, there were times when they worked with uh, the African-American community to get messages out. Uh, the women came in during the AIDS crisis and took care of the gay men. Uh, and it shows what happens and the power you have when everybody works together instead of sniping at each other. Um, and it's a lesson I think everybody needs kind of now. 
Now, uh, as we're talking about the show currently, it's available to stream on abc.com and also as a uh, digital download, you can purchase it from Amazon and iTunes. Right now, currently, for some reason, uh, it doesn't seem to have a DVD release date. So we will keep you posted. Hopefully that will happen soon. I would hope so, because I'd imagine there's some pretty excellent... um... Bonus material, Bonus material there. (laughs) So now we've got the second part of our interview with... New York Times best-selling romantic suspense author Suzanne Brockman, her husband Ed Gaffney, and their son Jason T. Gaffney, who all collaborate together on the California comedy series. Now, I want to remind folks that we've got the opportunity on the show notes page uh, through a raffle copter for you to enter to win to get ebook copies of the first two California comedy books, which are Creating Clark and A Match for Mike. Uh, Suzanne has also added to the giveaway for this week. So there's an additional raffle copter on the page where you could register to win uh, autographed paperback arc of some kind of hero, which is the latest installment of the Troubleshooter series. Uh, that book doesn't come out until July 11th, so you've got a chance now to get a copy in advance and to have it autographed. Pretty wow, huh? Uh, both of these raffle copters run through July 2nd. Uh, the key to the one to get Suzanne's book is there's a question there that you're going to have to get the answer to inside the interview. So make sure you listen close so you can uh, get the answer to that and register to win that book. I really enjoyed sitting down with the three of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a great time talking to them. They're uh, 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 an amazing bunch of uh, wild and funny and creative people. Now, in this second half of the interview, we talk a little bit more about their creative process and how they collaborate. Also, we find out what they all have coming up in the future. Did you read some a lot of your mom's work as well to get ready to write in the romance novel genre area? Yeah, I mean, I I love uh, I'm very partial to any book with jewels in it. Um, I fell in love with Jewels in a Hot Target. Um, my actual favorite book of my mom's is called Infamous, uh, and that one takes place on a cowboy movie set. Um, I have a thing for cowboys, so. It kind of was a match made in heaven, and then there's a ghost, so it's kind of cool and paranormal. Um, and uh, there's a really funny scene between the ghost and the lead guy and the lead woman. Um, but that one in particular, like, it, I would love to see that made into a movie someday because I, I would love to make that into a movie someday because I just had it was such a good story that I was like visualizing it as, uh, as I was going. What's it like to write sex scenes with your dad? Which, you know, has to be the question that gets asked at some point in this thing. Of course. (laughs) So, it's, like, we're a very open family, which is awesome. And my parents have never shied me away from sex, like in TV or films. They were never like, that's something to be afraid of um, and stuff. And in fact, my dad, like, even though I went to a school where they had a great sex ed program and they were very like, we learned about it in fifth grade and then again in sixth. And then I think, I think we hit it again in eighth. Like they, they really were driving the point home. Like (laughs) be safe, use condoms. It's going to feel great. Do it when you're ready. Not now. Um, stuff like that. And, uh, and so my dad also sat me down for like the birds and the bees talks and stuff. And then when I came out, he came to me again and said, you know, 
like I'm not super familiar with like gay sex, but I kind of get the basics. If you want me to kind of walk you through it, and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> and he said, Well, but either way, you're gonna have. I'm gonna put a present on your bed for you. And I was like, Okay. And like we we both knew he was talking about condoms. <laughs> Whatever, Dad. I like. I want to go play my PlayStation. Thank you. Um, and and the surly teenager. And. Uh, we had a, uh, a a cleaning lady who would come and, and kind of help dust and, and do the floors and stuff and um, and just keep our allergenic people from dying from all the dust. And um, she uh, was in my bedroom vacuuming and she was helping out with tidying up and she noticed the condoms and she placed them onto my pillow for me. <laughs> And, uh, and it was just kind of like, after that, nothing was really embarrassing or awkward. And um, although I do get a little giggly when I write something in the sexual, in the scenes, and my dad will go like, is that a real thing? And I'm like, mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> Who's teaching who now? Yeah, exactly. I have to, you, you can't see it because we're in Skype, but I'm, I'm climbing onto a soapbox now. I, I have to tell you guys something about this. You're absolutely right, Jeff. That is the question. That is the question. And and why I'm on the soapbox is because I feel like it shouldn't be. Mm. It absolutely shouldn't be the question. Um, be, and, and why I'm very passionate about this is um, our culture has done such a spectacular job of screwing up sex and screwing up gay people's lives. Uh, and they come together in an incredible, just an incredible confluence of disaster around gay sex. Um, so that when Susan and I became aware that we were the parents of a gay kid, um, we both, uh, I mean, we didn't speak about it specifically about this, but I know I took it very, very, very much to heart that I needed to make sure that there was absolutely no way that I ever supported or gave any kind of um, unspoken uh, um, uh, cue that there was anything wrong or scary or, or dirty or sinful or shameful about sex or gay sex. And that, that message is I would love to live in a world where that question is is would never come up. Mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you, this is this is a kind of a, it's related. It's a little bit off topic, but it's related. We just finished editing a, a movie called Russian Doll that we all worked on together, and this is a this is a uh, a thriller. The lead character is a lesbian, and she has a subplot, a romantic subplot. That character was played by my daughter, Jason's sister, Melanie. Jason plays in the movie, he plays a horrible man who tortures and kills women. And that's what he does. When we were making the movie, the question was not, how did it feel to direct your son 
into this character who tortures and kills women. The question was, how did it feel to direct your daughter in a love scene? Mm -hmm. A perfectly mm -hmm. lovely, joyful, happy, sweet, romantic love scene. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Our, our world has gone way off the rails. What we, somehow we've managed to, to put what's private and we've, we've managed to equate that with shameful. And I think that has really messed up a lot of people's lives. And I'm so happy, so happy to be able to be a part of a tiny little collaboration that gets to tell people you're wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. Way, way, way off base. Romance novels just, just, um, I mean, romance novels are subversive. I mean, they're, they're, the message, I mean, if you think about it in terms of message to women, because women too are told sex is bad and wrong and shameful and um, you shouldn't have sex until, you know, and it should never be pleasurable. And if it's pleasurable, you'll die at the end of the book. And, and so, so here's the romance genre that where, where, where women get to have sex and enjoy it and and live and get their happily ever after and happy endings you know and then and, and and so now he, now there's this wonderful genre of um you know lgbtq romance where the, that same subversive message is being told to countless people across the across the world that um that you know gay men can can have sex and fall in love and not have to die at the end of the book either and i and so so i think it's um i think it's a really it's a it's an awesome thing to be part of that messaging because it's it's just a great message, you know. Sex is sex is a great part of of being in love with somebody, and and um, and and it's pretty freaking good. <laughs> well said. I mean, <laughs> for us having, we were at RT a couple of weeks ago, and it's amazing still how many women feel the need to hide what they read, and they go to RT and they get to have this free few days where they can be with their tribe where they could talk about this and not be looked at in a shameful fashion and that's uh, yeah. so it's, unfortunate that it still persists while yeah, while yep. romance is a you know multi-million dollar industry on its own there you go yep Ching. <laughs> so but, yeah. how many books do you see in california comedy as like do you have a projection of how far they'll go or will they just go on until you run out of tropes to mess with. <laughs> <laughs> and then repeat them because there's no, you can't run out of marriage of convenience stories. I'm telling you. <laughs> we we have really a friend can. whose favorite trope is secret baby. So if you can find a secret it's baby, we will pass scary. that book right over to her. Yeah, that, that'll be our challenge. Yes. yes. We'll, but we'll figure it out. I'm secret sure. baby's not easy <laughs> in the gay romance genre. Not easy. <laughs> as of now, I mean, it's, it's, as of now, it's, it's definitely open-ended. Like, um, I love telling stories and, and, you know, and, and right now my dad and I are working on pre-production for, uh, the next feature film we're going to make called analysis paralysis. And, uh, and, but we can't do like, as much as I love making movies, I can't make a movie every month. I don't have the finances or the resources to, to just bang them out the same way. But I, I personally have these stories I want to tell. And I love telling stories. And so to me, it's a great venue to keep doing that. And when we write them, I, I like to look at them not just as a book, but as a potential future movie yeah. down the line. 
And so while we're writing them, it's that's also what uh, why sometimes I'll read out I'll read the lines out loud. It's because like if we the script's already written, then we don't have to worry about like writing the script later on, just plugging it from one to the other. And um, and so you know for for now it's just going to be an open ended fun extravaganza. I like the extravaganza part, and of course. <laughs> Ed just mentioned a few a few minutes ago with Russian Doll, as a family, along with your sister Melanie, you guys collaborate all the time on so much. I think I read on your website, Suze, that you've done YA novel with yeah, Melanie. With Mel- yeah, she's a good writer too. She is. It's uh... it's just it's so amazing to see such a creative family continuing to work on projects. How do these? Where do they usually kick off? That is it just one person has an idea and like, hey, let's think about doing this. That's it. That's that's really although we have a joke in our family that um that it usually starts with an irate phone call from Jason. <laughs> <laughs> There's only an issue in the world that's not being addressed and they phone call up and say we have to address it. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, basically, it's somebody gets an idea and and um, starts talking about it. And so whether it's a movie or, um, or, or a novel or, you know, it just play. yeah, a play. Up, it, it just kind of goes from there. Yeah, yeah. So to kind of give us an idea of this of these phone calls from Jason that that come, <laughs> how did the perfect wedding, you know, kind of kick off for the family to work on? Yeah, well, it started with a phone call. <laughs> yes. So I was at a event for, I want to say it was for the Ali Forney Center, which is a great organization that mm-hmm. uh, helps youth, uh, LGBT youth who have been kicked out of their homes in, in New York City. Um, donate to them. They're awesome. And I remember it was Christmas time, and I went there with my friend, and uh, he's like, I got tickets. We're going to go. You're going to have fun. Let's go. And I was like, okay, fine. And uh, so I went, and the, the, there were free drinks. And I, I, I noticed that there were a ton of naked Santas. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is an event for youth, for donations. Why are there a bunch of naked Santas? And I am all about sex sells. Like, it totally makes sense to me. And then I started thinking about it more and being like, Huh, you know, like I've seen so many gay films where if it's not about like the, the few that weren't about coming out or sexuality were really like sex romp focused. It was just like scene after scene after scene, which also has a place in the world and it can be very enjoyable to watch. Um, but I noticed that there was no movie that was just a romantic comedy with the guys that didn't rely on on just pretty people being pretty to get sold. And so I I had had a few glasses of wine. Which and... usually accompanies the irate phone call, I would like to add. <laughs> <laughs> there there and... may be traced to the origin of the irate phone call. <laughs> and I call my parents up and I'm like, oh my God, I have the best idea for a movie ever. And... And my parents are like, okay, Jason, like, okay, go ahead, tell us. And I'm like, no, no, you have to take me seriously. Like, this movie is real. And they were like, yeah, just get on with it. And, 
And so then I, I laid out kind of the idea of the perfect wedding with, you know, you've got a guy who has to come home. He's been telling people. It's another marriage of convenience story. It's awesome. It's another, except there's a twist. Yeah. And so, and, uh, and I mean, the story really evolved. Like the character of Paul in that movie didn't come until draft six, which is amazing because he's the main character. Um, and we didn't know we were missing him. But, uh, but then the next day, like after the phone call where I was pretty sure my parents were brushing me off and not really paying attention to me, I called him up the next day and with the same amount of urgency and irateness, said, I am sober I'm now, sober. and, and uh, we're still making this movie, and here's <laughs> the beats of the movie, and we're still going to do this. And um, and it was, like, who knew Sexy Santas were going to inspire me to <laughs> pursue a sweet little romantic comedy? Yep. It was awesome. That That's what it takes. It takes a phone call that, and, uh, and, and, um, Conviction again, taking on the very grand project, in, mm -hmm. and you never know where it's going to come from. It... You, you guys have a really unique family, and it brings. I can't help thinking of the family in the play. Uh, you can't take it with you. Oh, I love, love <laughs> um, that. For, okay, for those of you who are listening and don't know, you can't take it with you. Kind of revolves around a wacky, unconventional family. And they're they're like singers and they're painters and they're dancers and they're all wild and bohemian and, and funny and that's where, you know, the you know, comedy ensues when a straight laced family kinda comes into the picture. But you guys do uh, it's kind of bananas. You do a little bit of everything. There's um, you know, movies and books, uh you even had you did a play off Broadway, you know, it's kind of amazing. There, there is a we Jason and, and Melanie are both adults. They don't live with us now. But there was a time when we, Jason was living with us in um, Waltham and um, was a very big house. And, uh, and Jason was in a community theater. Mm -hmm. And he, I am a terrible actor, terrible actor. This is this is my range right here. <laughs> He's really good at that range. I am good. I am good at sarcastic over guy. That's it though. That is my guy, my one guy. Okay. So anyway, however, uh, because community theater always needs adult men in the chorus, Jason was constantly dragging me into shows. He was doing Annie got Annie get your gun. And I was in the chorus. And I was assigned the role of the guy who was doing a, um, a lasso, a lariat. Okay, so I had to practice how to do that, the rope trick, okay? Our friend at the time, Eric Rubin, who is six foot three, was cast in a different show um, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And he had to practice walking around in heels that were... He was, what, was, what part was he, Jace? Well, he was... Um... Brad, right? Brad, yeah. But at one point, Brad has to wear heels, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Eric was practicing. So Suze <laughs> comes down, she's writing on the second floor. She comes down and there's Eric clomping around, giant Eric clomping around on these six inch heels. 
while I'm twirling a lasso in the middle of our house. Tap dancing. I think Jason was tap dancing. And Jason might have been tap dancing. That's right. And I so was like. That is the scene out of okay, our family as you can't take with you. That is as exactly. bananas as it ever got in one spot. We are now bananas across the country. But at that moment, we were there. We, You are right. Will, we yeah. were right there. But on the other hand, Jason learned incredible. We had a house where people we people are always at our house for dinner, even, even today. Um, but back when Jason was growing up, um, we were kind of the, the tribe central. We were where where all of our musician and artist and actor and, and teacher and all these creative people friends would gather and um and we were all starving at the time um but um but jason learned incredible comic timing at the dinner table like it was just because we had all these really funny people who were always in all these incredibly um uh awesome conversations going on at, at dinner every single night. And um, so Jason, as a, you know, as a 10-year-old, had this incredible dry wit that he had learned from all the comedians who <laughs> were at our house all the time. So it was just, it was a really great, you know, he, and he was, a, as a little boy, Jason wanted to be an actor. He was, he did his first show and it was a semi-pro production when he was eight years old. And um, he did, I think it was 52 performances of Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of driving. <laughs> that's a lot of Oliver. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so, but, but he, and he wanted to be there every single night, you know, there, it was just, it was, it was, it was such a good experience. And, and, um, and it was, it, so, so yeah, so Jason was, was part of the, um, the colorful family as well, you know, right from, right from the start. But it was a great, I think it was a great way to grow up and, and, um, and learn to kind of, um, value yourself and value your creativity and to, and to actually learn how to get something done. You know, we work together as a family, um, in part, well, first of all, because we really like each other, which is, which is a kind of good thing. <laughs> um, but, but because we have all learned how to get things done and how to do efficiently and how to um how to take on a project and complete it because i think that that a lot of times in life you, you there's something you want to do but you don't really know how to do it and so you never really get started and and um and that's out of all the things that i think that that ed and i have taught jason and, and melanie too um it's 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 how do you do something grand how do you decide to take on a project and and what do you need to to do to stay with it and to finish it and um and so so i i feel pretty good about um about the the parenting <laughs> that that conveyed that message cuz cuz it is when you write a to write a book is a you know i mean as fast as jason and ed write um it's a it takes a significant amount of time to go from from page one chapter one to and they lived happily ever after mm. and uh so that's that's kind of cool maybe you should have a parenting book as well to help other parents grow yeah. kids oh, like this yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you foresee expanding the suzanne brockman's presents banner at all into other people or bring in other authors or um 
you know, I've been thinking about that. Um, I, you know, Jason and Ed have been my um, experimental kind of team because, again, because I like working with them. But I also knew that they wouldn't really complain too much as as I was learning the self-publishing ropes. You know, Jason is my um, my technology expert, and so between the two of us, you know, they, well, whenever Jason and I do anything, it's pretty noisy, um, but it's fun. So we'll be skyping and we'll be like, "What is Amazon doing now?" You know, and how do we do? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's awesome. We're learning how to, um, you know, we just changed the cover art for. Um, oh, you guys, we just changed the cover art for creating Clark and a match for Mike. So the new covers are up online now. Um, but you know, so changing the cover art that was a whole that was an adventure that yep. we did last week. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I can, I can imagine I'm. I am a huge fan of own voices, hashtag own voices. I think it's really cool that um, um, that that the the uh, that LGBTQ romance has um, is you know it's kind of started out um, with women writing male male romances, and now the 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 authors there's there are way more gay men out there um, who are who are writing romance, and I'm I just really love that. I really love. Um, uh, having an op- giving an opportunity um, for people to tell their stories and 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 um, so I think it's really important. Um, so I can imagine maybe opening our doors to to other authors um, uh, at at some point in the future. But we're still we're still kind of learning the ropes as sure. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it's, only right been a, it's only been a year. Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's coming up next for each one of you? Ah, um, well, the guys are working on, um, they're in pre-production for a movie that they are going to be filming in the <coughs> And I've got a book coming out in July, um, Some Kind of Hero comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another, uh, uh, in my Troubleshooter series, Navy SEAL hero, romance novelist heroine. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, um, you know, then we're just, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be cooking meals for Jason's movie, <laughs> uh, for the casting crew. I'm pretty sure I'm like, um, Kate, I may be in charge of catering. <laughs> There's a whole other side to, to Sue's. It's called craft services. <laughs> it, whatever it is, it'll be noisy. <laughs> No, it won't. Not during the takes. Yeah, no, no. That's what <laughs> it'll be quiet, noisy. Yeah. So yeah, so that's um. I'm writing, and I'm writing a book right now. I'm writing a, a thriller, a legal thriller, um, about um, sort of with a Black Lives Matter uh, theme. Um, my uh, working title is Woke, and I'm uh, I'm telling it from the point of view of a, of a white lawyer who uh, I, I'm actually a criminal appeals attorney. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's my training. That's where I got, you know, I, I started writing books because Sue's was a bestseller. And, and, uh, and I got an idea for a book and she said, why don't you write it? I, you know, I was, I was doing criminal appeals at the time and I had an idea for a book. Um, anyway, this book is about a, 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 a man who... Um, who is assigned a case, um, uh, he's assigned to look into the case of, a, of an African-American man who was shot and nearly killed by a police officer and ended up 
being convicted of the crime of attempting to kill the police officer and serving 30 years in jail. And through his investigation of this crime, learns not just about the crime, but learns a whole lot about the way the criminal justice system works and doesn't work with respect to African-American um, defendants. And uh, so I'm kind of early on, I'm about a quarter of the way through. It'll be a long time before that book's done. We're gonna do Analysis Paralysis, which is a, that's a romantic comedy that um, Jace had an idea for um, that we co-wrote and um, and he's gonna be, we're gonna f be filming it out in California in um, October? Yeah, October. Yeah, we're in the casting process right now, and oh, we've got some great people. Oh boy, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Funny it's be funny. Excellent. Very cool. So that hopefully comes out sometime next year, probably. That would. That's the goal. The goal would be that analysis process would be, if I can do, the editing at the pace I want to do it. it Hopefully, knock on a lot of wood, would be ready by. Uh, we can do know, it. Summer. We can do it. Yeah. Awesome. And what's the best way for everybody to keep up with you guys? Ah, probably through my email newsletter. Yes. Um, it's on my website. You can go to my website and, and um, there's a link to my newsletter um, right there. And because I tend to spread the news about um, things like, you know, if, if Russian Doll gets into a film festival, it, what, what, what's going to happen with analysis paralysis? And I and I definitely do keep readers um, posted about things like um, the California comedy series and and uh, and so on. Cool. Well, we'll link up to that in the show notes as well. Well, it's been totally amazing talking to you, both, talking to all three of you. <laughs> Same here. Thank you. thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank Thanks you for, for having us. us. It's yeah. fun. Hockey players Simon Roberts and Alex Miller never could have known that the moment they first kissed, they were embarking on the love of a lifetime. The Hat Trick box set is their love story, as told by Simon, beginning their senior year of high school through college graduation and beyond from the insecurity of coming out to mentorship of gay youth. For Simon and Alex, it's always about love, family, and hockey. The box set includes three full-length novels and three short stories in one easy-to-download ebook. Get yours today at Amazon.com and other online retailers. So just a reminder as we wrap up, two rafflecopters on this week's show notes page one to put you in the running for the ebooks of the California comedy series, another to get the autographed arc from Suzanne Brockman. Both waiting for you, both good till Sunday, July 2nd. Mm -hmm. Now, coming up in episode number 91, Brandlin will be here to have some book recommendations. And plus, we're going to recap our New York trip with a whole bunch of theater reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you don't like theater, you. I'm going to be sassy and tell you, you right now that you probably, you know, you know what? You don't have to listen to next week's episode. <laughs> wow. What if we've got like some major breaking news at the top of the show or something? Uh, well, then they'll miss out. Won't you they? can listen to the front. If theater's not your thing, you're probably going to skip that middle section. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll have a who lot to talk about next week. Yeah. Uh, until then, guys, uh, I hope everyone has had a happy and healthy Pride Month 2017. So until next time, keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. 
new episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.